Welcome to Long Covid Physio Podcast, the podcast for physiotherapists and other allied health professionals to share their stories of living with Long Covid and our allies in clinical practice, research and policy to join the discussion. Hello and welcome to Long Covid Physio Podcast. My name is Darren Brown. I'm a physiotherapist and I am a person living with long COVID. And after a short hiatus on providing these podcasts, we are back. And we're back with a duo, an international duo, and also a diverse duo of different backgrounds. So I will allow our wonderful guests to introduce themselves. So we'll start with further afield from where I am. Rachel, will you do us the honor of introducing yourself? Further afield, I'm all the way in Canada. So my name is Rachel Goldenberg. I am a voice teacher in Canada. I have been living in Calgary, which is in Alberta, so Western Canada for the past 10-ish years. And I've been teaching voice privately to avocational adults, children, other professional singers, actors, and um, I also teach, or I have taught previously at Ambrose University, teaching both voice and speech there, and voice pedagogy, which is the art of teaching that is informed by science. And some people get a little bit confused about that definition because teaching singing or singing is itself an art, but the teaching of it is also an art because you're learning to communicate. So um, I teach that and. Um, I also am the voice consultant at Breathe Well Physio in Calgary, where I work with Jessica DeMars, and I've been working with her for about five years now. And together, Jessica and I have a program called Breathe, Sing, Move, which combines elements of physiotherapy and pulmonary rehab with singing to help people living with breathlessness and breathing pattern disorders, and also um, lung disease. And so we've been doing that for about uh, three or four years now. And we recently added um, a separate program that is quite different, obviously, for obvious reasons, uh, for people living with long COVID, and that is called Breathe, Speak, Pace. So I'll talk a little bit about that later oh, on, but that's well. general introduction to me. <laughs> Thank you for that. And Feeney, would you introduce yourself? Hello, my name's Feeney Cave and I'm on the south coast of England in sunny Eastbourne, um, which on days like today when I've been able to get into the sea is wonderful. Um, I am here with multiple hats. So I'm working currently for East London NHS Foundation Trust on a programme which is called the Clinical Placement Expansion Programme and um, that is to extend the reach and breadth of arts therapy student placements which includes potentially arts therapy students working in long COVID clinics so I'm, I'm talking here about dance movement therapy, music, possibly drama and, and art as well. Um, I'm also here as the director of the musical Breath, and I'm going to ask Rachel in a minute to say where our paths crossed. But the musical Breath was a company that I set up after starting a programme called Singing for Breathing at the Royal Brompton Hospital in London in 2008. 
um, for people with COPD, not COVID, COPD, um, hugely important distinction. So ran that work for a number of years and then the British Lung Foundation approached me in 2015 and said, this is amazing, will you train other people? So I've trained 250 singing leaders to um, lead singing with people with um, chronic lung conditions, interstitial lung disease, COPD. Um, finally, I am wearing two other hats, which is as a, a healthcare professional and music therapist who has worked hospital bedside. So I worked at the Brompton and the Harefield pre and post lung and heart transplant, specifically pre and post lung transplant with people with cystic fibrosis, working both palliatively and also at bedside, which is really relevant to this conversation. And also as an adjunct, final thing to say is um, I had what I now know, what I knew then was post-viral fatigue, not long COVID, but post-viral fatigue in 2016. And I have a very strong body memory of the six months when I had basically switched off and became unplugged. Um, and I've also worked in prisons with um, women with um, severe and enduring mental health and PTSD, which is also perhaps relevant to this conversation. So that's me. Rachel, where did we meet? Yeah. <laughs> well, there was a plug there, wasn't there? Where did you meet? <laughs> Actually, Feeney is sort of my idol. You're mine. When I was doing my, my doctorate in vocal pedagogy uh, about, oh, it was probably 13, 14 years now. Um, I was introduced to a woman with cystic fibrosis who sings and her doctors were theorizing that singing was keeping her lung function relatively healthy and normal and keeping her going. And so they were encouraging her to sing. And my specialty in my doctorate was actually vocal health. And so I was spending, I'd been spending a lot of time in voice clinics and learning about the, the background of vocal injury and, and all of that and how to, and how to deal with that as a singing teacher. And so I was very curious about the medical side of singing. And after I met this woman, I just thought, well, why? What is it about singing that is keeping her healthy? And so I went on to write my doctoral dissertation about the use of singing lessons as an adjunctive airway clearance technique for people for adults with cystic fibrosis. And so this was back in I guess I, I graduated in 2012. So around that time, uh, there were very limited studies related to the use of singing as a physical therapy, or at least an adjunctive one. And at that time, Feeney was doing her work. It was at the Brompton, yes, with um, Victoria Lord. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. Those got published um, just as I was publishing my own dissertation. And I thought, you know what? The, Feeney is going to be my best friend. <laughs> we are, we are going to be, we are going to be great friends and colleagues. And uh, sure enough, in due time, we met. And um, it turns out that we have a very complementary relationship because I have quite an extensive background in voice and voice science and habilitation of singers. So, so transferring techniques and teaching people to use their voices well. I I am not in the rehabilitative world, although there is an overlap in that Venn diagram for sure. 
But uh, with Feeney's background and my own, I think we're we're quite uh, complementary to each other. Yeah, I mean, certainly the the, the what balances and, and meets that is is my background around um, body work. I'm also a, a qualified shiatsu practitioner, not that I've done any for ages, but that came and I don't know if you know this, Rachel, off the back of being a vocal coach for years and thinking there's something going on here with the body and the relationship with the body in space in the present moment that is not working for some of these singers. These weren't people down with particular you know pathology. So I trained as a body worker, which I did for, for many years, and, and it really helped in, in, inform my practice. So yeah, between Rachel and I, we, we, we've got, I'm making um, a shape with my hand, which is useless for audio. <laughs> <laughs> yes, only for those on YouTube. <laughs> com- com- complimentary, I hope, yeah. So how can um, we, how can we what help? What diversity you both bring in terms of your experiences and clearly your expertise um, and your professional backgrounds. And so I suppose kind of where have our three worlds collided and we end up on a podcast about long COVID um, I know that we've all been communicating through social media, um, but I wonder if, um, Rachel, you might start by sharing kind of the work or the experiences that you've had in the context of long COVID. So when you interviewed Jessica back in February, she and I had been, you know, we've been we've been working together for a lot for a long time. And uh, she and I had just had a conversation maybe a week or two prior to that interview that you did with her. And she was saying to me, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to have to step back a bit from Breathe, Sing, Move because we just have so many long COVID patients that are being referred into the clinic and I need to deal with them. And one of the reasons that we set up Breathe, Sing, Move was because we have so many people who have some kind of lung disease or breathlessness, but they don't qualify for ongoing care. And so they go, they might go through pulmonary rehab and then they're sort of left to go walk around the malls with very little support or information. And so one of the reasons why we formed our singing group was to provide that gap in care. And we are funded by the Lung Association of Alberta and the, North, and the Northwest Territories for that reason, because there are six, I think the statistic we use is 600,000 people in Alberta, and we're not a large province. We have about 4 million people in the entire province. So 600,000 living with some kind of lung condition, but only a thousand of those have access to ongoing care. And so we wanted to fill in this gap for people that are too sick to do nothing, but aren't sick enough to get follow-up or to have real support. So that's where we were forming that group. And so we already had this background of group work, right? We already had a we already had the infrastructure. So very casually, I said to her, should we set up something for long COVID? And um, even, even back in February, you know, the way that we're dealing with long COVID has, it is, uh, shifted very quickly. We are learning so much and the the standard of care is changing a lot and we're, we're just learning so much more. So back in February, we were kind of going, okay, well, we could we could try this and, and that. And um, so, we, so we came up with a, with a program 
with a with an outline and we joined with an exercise physiologist who specializes in cancer fatigue rosemary toomey and um we came up with a with a two-step program so the the patients would work with the two of them for a very informational session um learning about pacing that kind of thing nutritional management that kind of thing and then they would have a voice skills component with me in a second class and one of the reasons why we talk about voice in respiratory care is because one of the most dynamic things that you can do in terms of managing the breath is speak every time you make a sound you modulate your breath pressure so I have the systems, I have the respiration system, I have the phonation system, I have the articulation system, and then I have the resonance system. And we are constantly doing this really intricate dance between those. And when one system goes wonky, the others can compensate to a certain degree. But one of the reasons why people are referred to me for work, for, for extra voice work, is because they cough when they speak, they're breathless when they speak, they become hoarse when they speak, right? And so this shifting, when we, when we lose the, respir the respiration, right, we end up with, we might end up with excess tension in the phonation system or in the articulatory system, you know, just these comp uh, in compensation. And so you can't really talk about breath without addressing voice issues too. And, the, and, you know, when I make a wait, when I make an ooh sound, that's a different breath pressure than when I make an S sound or when I make a T sound, right? Because that's a stop, a full stop. So we really felt that in terms of breath management, voice would be quite important. And indeed, you know, we, when we look at our outcome measures, we see that voice handicap is actually quite high among, among um, people who are experiencing long haul COVID. Um, regardless of whether or not that's enough for them to be seen in a voice clinic and evaluated ENT or SLP, um, voice handicap is quite high for those reasons, coughing and breathlessness for sure. That's really interesting. And thank you for sharing that. Uh, Feeney, what about your experiences? What, what brings you to the realm mm. of long COVID? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in and, and say that, you know, Rachel's just brought up such an interesting uh, it's not a concept, it, it's a fact that you, you cannot separate voice from breath. And I think a lot of, um, I'm taking a breath in myself and relax. Oh, the other thing is I bring a um, dysregulated breathing pattern with me as well, which also gives me that kind of lived experience. Um, anyway, you can't separate voice and breath. And I think a lot of people have got very overexcited about breath over the last year. So this is answering your question, Darren. Suddenly, breath for various challenging and distressing reasons has come into the public perception in a way that it never has before. It's been part of my professional life for 12, 15 years. My website is The Musical Breath. You know, it, it's part of what I do and who I am. And it's almost as though the world has woken up to the fact that we don't notice our breath until something happens to it. And as we know, originally, COVID was thought of as a respiratory condition. And we now know it's multi-systemic. Some people 
A lot of people have breathing pattern disorders or dysregulated breathing pattern for sure for lots of different reasons. Some have got pathologies for different reasons and in different places that manifest in very different ways. But it ain't about breath. It's about the whole body, the whole person and that relational aspect with self and the environment. And back to your question, what started to happen was suddenly people started inquiring about singing for lung health training. Now, if you look at my website, until very recently, there was nada, nothing on there about COVID on purpose. It was very clear. This is something that has been built on the physiology of purse-lip breathing, working with people who might hyperventilate or hyperinflate. You know, we can talk about that afterwards, the physiology of, of singing for lung health for people with COPD. But I discovered that a lot of people were coming to do my training because they wanted to work with people with long COVID, which for me was actually a bit of a gentle shock because I thought, but this is an entirely different situation. You know, even to the point where in the evaluation, some people would say, oh, well, it was a great course, but I really came to work with people with COVID and that seems to be something completely different. So that's that thing, Darren, is that suddenly a lot of people were inquiring on, on doing my course and I'm doing the last training this autumn because I've had to reach the point where it's like, this is about obstructive and restrictive lung conditions and people with that, not COVID. But what was the other thing I was going to say? Yes, the other thing is that a lot of singing for lung health leaders who are trained are wanting to now do this work. And Rachel and I ran a webinar recently for, I think there were 60 there, Rachel. Yeah, a lot. A lot of people who are not really fully uh, au fait or fully kind of comprehending that this is a different piece of work. Yeah. So and there you it, go. I, I think it's go worth ahead. to mention what happened when we started doing brief <laughs> pace. Oh, please do. And yeah, yeah. And I mean, I had a similar experience. Once the idea that singing could be a treatment for co for COVID, for this breathlessness, um, and that's the, followed by the concept that singers are expert breathers, which actually we're not. What we what singers do and what they say they do are two completely different things, and this has been studied. Um, and actually, Jessica will tell you from based on the number of singing students that I've sent her <laughs> that singers are not actually great breathers across the board. So we have to decouple that. But we do know a lot about breath. So, you know, there is there is that for sure. But what happened to me was that my, you know, my inbox got flooded with people suddenly very interested in working with people with um, with long COVID. And you know, I've been at this for 10 years, <clears throat> excuse me, and I've been at conferences across North America, and this has never picked up before. In fact, I was at the National Association of Teachers of Singing with Jessica just last summer talking about our work with COPD, asthma, pulmonary fibrosis, and we were relegated to the student sessions. We weren't even in the main program. So it wasn't something that was on the radar until suddenly everybody Boom. was talking about breath and now we have a lot of singers who are going oh well i can help out here but let me tell you what, ha what happened when we started even with our 
breathe, speak pace. And, you know, I'm very lucky that I work alongside Jessica, who is such an expert. She would hate me using that word. Um, but she, <laughs> I really, you know, look up to she her. She is. Um, who really has gone down the rabbit hole as in terms of being an advocate for people with, with long COVID. And she warned me, first of all, people are going to have very little energy. You cannot run this like breathe, sing, move. This is not the same thing. It has to be about management and not about a treatment. So we're, we're teaching from a completely different place. And, um, so I thought, well, there are different structural points in my lesson plans. Um, I'll just start with the first part, which is sort of this, I call it the pre-voicing part where we just do, we just do breathing exercises. We do some stretching, some body work. And I had worked one-on-one -on -one with a number of her patients at this point. So I sort of thought that I knew what was what, but I got to that first class and you know, I've got everybody up on the gallery view on Zoom and there were almost everybody was reclined on the couch, just struggling to breathe. And you could read the energy in the room. And it is, it was just, I just thought, okay, whatever I thought we were going to do, we can't do. <laughs> this is different. This is really different. And, you know, when you've worked with COPD, asthma, um, the idea is to bring up the energy and to bring out the breath and get, get everybody going. And we dance and we sing and we, you know, we do four minutes of Macarena. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> I actually really love the sound we have, that. We have a really good time, <laughs> but you know, I'm actually, you know, I'm a bubbly person and I had immediately it, bring it down, bring it down. And, um, I thought, okay, well, let's just see what we do. You know, let's just, let's just exhale on us. So we're going to inhale through your nose and then, okay, let's do that again. By three or four repetitions, I was getting comments in the chat. Is anybody else finding this really hard? This is so hard. This it's too much. By the end of the class, I thought, oh my gosh, what have I done here? And I was doing, you know, just general thoracic stretches, raising arm, you know, raise the arm above the above the head. I didn't know that that's actually not a great idea <laughs> if you've got, you know, um, regulation problems. So you know, innocent me who had all of this knowledge and support, what I thought was easy was really not. And I immediately called Jessica, you know, through, through the tears. <laughs> I think I just heard people and just like, it's okay. It's okay. We didn't know. We don't, because we don't know, you know, this was March, you know, when things were still really early. So luckily I could have supervision from her. And we, t we talked, you know, very much through every single one of the patients and um, came up with a new plan. And that, you know, gradually that, that started to work. But the point is, this is not easy. And this is completely different. And when, you, when you're dealing with the obstructive and restrictive lung conditions, those people have been through the system. We know sort of what to expect. There is pulmonary rehab. There is support there. But with long COVID, you might just have somebody who had their two weeks of isolation and now they're coming to you for help because they still can't breathe, right? So it's a very different ball of wax. And I would caution any teacher, any singing teacher who's out there 
offering this support. You really have to do your homework and be prepared to reevaluate and change things and do things very much on an individual basis because it is so heterogeneous. There mm. are definitely going to be people that are going to really benefit from what you have to offer. And then there are going to be people who you might actually hurt. Rachel, so. can I jump in? Sorry, down on that really important point, because I think the danger of um, that your last sentence is that people will then come from a place of fear and they will do wafty, what I call wafty woo-woo, Darren. What's wafty woo-woo? Wafty woo-woo, it all becomes a bit light and fluffy and a bit like, okay, we're just going to lean over to the right and we're just going to wave our arms in the air and I'm just waving my hands about now and we're just going to let the breath just out really slowly. And it's, it, it, it's completely disembodied. It's like, I don't know if either of you can think of an equivalent, but there is a way that we talk about um, evaluation in, in arts and health, um, where it can be both robust, creative and appropriate. And mm. I would suggest that there is a way this work can also be robust, creative and appropriate. And um, the, the fine line, this is my sort of provo provocation in the room, is there's a fine line between, between holding uncertainty and curiosity and not, not being led by fear so that you move into a sort of wafty sort of space. There's an awful lot of um, concern, I think, about doing harm now, which is good from the people who are doing this work. But the danger is, is that if you come from that place of fear and you do less, so it just becomes a bit of a lie down. Again, from my experience of having not long COVID, but post viral fatigue, that was almost worse because I felt disassociated. I don't know mm. if what I'm saying is make any, making any sense. One of, yeah. Go, Darren, yeah, sorry. So there's quite a few really critical points that have been raised there, and I kind of want to come on to a couple of them if that's all right. So first of all, I want to come back to what you mentioned, Rachel, about the lessons that had been learned uh, through initial implementation of services, um, the response and feedback of individuals. And I, I just want to say thank you for being honest and vulnerable in that, because I think that that message is actually so important. I think so many people around the world World are wanting to do good, are wanting to help and are wanting to jump on. And I think that through that, there's a risk that people want to be seen to doing everything right. And I think that we need to learn what doesn't work. And I think that's a message that's so important to share. So I want to say thank you for doing that, because I think that will be a message that translates well, that's heard by people, because it actually genuinely is, what should I avoid or what should I not do? Or how can I do it better and that's how we learn right that's a simple pdsa cycle of evaluation you know plan do study act like we've got to evaluate what we're doing which comes back to the point where feeney was saying there about i've forgotten the three things that you said uh, but i wish i'd written them down but you said like uh, you know this needs to be done in three particular ways and i've forgotten the, the, oh, the term what robust and creative yeah that'll do it yeah them. And that's it, isn't it? Like you, you, you to to avoid the wafty woo woo. And, <laughs> and I think you know you you've you've both also referenced such an important point of kind of echoing what I just said a second ago of the volume of people that are now coming to support. And I think it's great that that is happening, um, providing we're mindful of safety. 
and I think that's kind of both what you've really referenced there very clearly, um, that for all of our good intentions, we must make sure we're mindful of unintended consequences. And I've said that phrase so many times in the context of long COVID, um, especially because I'm a physio and talking with physios about rehabilitation um, and wanting to do good and how we need to make sure that we are safe in our prescriptions. So, so yeah, so I'll throw it back to you guys now. So how have you found dealing with the influx of requests for support, for engagement, for collaborations? It, it must be quite burdensome. Can I go first, Rachel? Just, just, just a little bit. Because I just, I just want to read something I got. This is a classic kind of example of of an email, and um, it says, uh, "Hi, Feeney. Um, I wonder if you can help. Um, a parent has approached us about having singing breathing sessions to deal with long COVID. And there's no judgment when I say that with the person who sent this email or the parent or the, but it's that singing breathing sessions to deal with long COVID." And I think there is um, a, a panic around, I'm coming back to that thing of not knowing, of uncertainty. I've got, I was reading two papers, Darren, this morning. Have you read either of them? One is called Long COVID Reshaping Conversations About Medically Unexplained Symptoms. Not that, familiar with that one? It's, it's, it's quite an interesting one, but it's saying basically how long COVID is potentially giving us a golden opportunity to reshape and extend discussions. Mm -hmm. And the other one is about... Um, uh, moving beyond the contro controversy, chronic fatigue syndrome and long COVID. I can let you have the links for these as I'm quoting from them. But it's, um, it says patients need to feel listened to and believed and physicians must manage uncertainty. And I think in answer to your question, what uh, people who are approaching me or doing my training are, they're not able to sit with that uncertainty very well. And mm. that's all I'm going to say there, Rachel. I will send it back over to you. I yeah. do love that point of uncertainty, though. So I'm going to jump in because yeah. actually, um, you know, uh, so this is where the my Canadian links come in because actually uncertainty is a domain of disability that's experienced by people with episodic disability. And myself as a physiotherapist that's worked with people living with episodic disabilities, primarily HIV and cancer for the last decade, uncertainty is bread and butter of what we deal with. Uh, and so actually it's really interesting to hear you talk about that. Um, and I think coming from the clinician and practitioner perspective as well, because actually uncertainty is a key theme in many parts of this pandemic, isn't it? Not only in terms of the disability that people may be experiencing, but also in how we as healthcare professionals or practitioners and people supporting also approach this. So it's a, a key term. Absolutely. And, and loss. I was talking to a music therapy colleague of mine last night and I had this moment. I said, why is it that it feels like working with people with dementia? I was like, that doesn't make any sense to me. And then suddenly I got it and it hit me in the gut. And I said, it's loss. We're working with loss. Like, do you know the quote, either of you, TK Toomes, you will have heard it, Rachel, in the other webinar we did around the perception of the loss of wholeness, the loss of certainty. Um, loss of control, loss of freedom to act. And I think the other one's familiarity. And I'm thinking, we're in this liminal transitional space. How can we as facilitators, practitioners and healthcare professionals sit alongside that challenge of that liminality of that not knowing? It, it was mm -hmm. something I had to do in the prison all the time with women who'd suffered such trauma 
or, 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 or even committed you know, really violent crimes themselves? I don't know the answer to that question, but I am really genuinely excited. And I think it's where you and I divide, Rachel, in a really complimentary way. I'm excited to see how I can work with healthcare professionals to have a creative toolkit to add to their, you know, reservoir of, of, of things to use, but is also about how to embody and be with sitting with uncomfortable uncertainty. So yeah, to lead that, into that then, sorry, to, so to lead into that, um, what I'm thinking is that breathlessness is a very common symptom experienced by people living with long COVID. And um, that can be respiratory could be cardiac could be other um you know in origin um, and that's why it requires investigation to find out whether there's a pathological reason for that and you both mentioned earlier that breathing pattern disorders has become on trend um and certainly that is not a lie uh, lots of people are interested so you know what you've mentioned there Feeney and also yourself Rachel around how we need to have the knowledge of uncertainty um, accept the limitations of the the knowledge base uh, whether it be direct or indirect into this um, so how can we work best in the context of long COVID with what you're both doing yeah and I think that that's you know Feeney brings up such a great point because there are so many aspects of music that can be helpful here. And one is from the, from the music therapy side that we can really be addressing a lot of the emotional uh, issues that are surrounding this, even some of the cognitive issues, because we know, we know from research in music in the brain that music activates different parts of the brain and that, that can be quite useful. Feeney would be able to talk more about that than, than I could, but, um, in terms of life skills, <laughs> you know, that are practical going back to this use of dealing this, this communication issue, right? that if you are breathless and you are suffering in your voice, this now becomes a quality of life issue because then you're not speaking as much or you're unable to communicate. And there is a domino effect of all kinds of stuff that, that follows that. And in many, in most cases, I would say, oh, um, you know, we have, we singing teachers actually have a lot to offer in terms of skill training. Right. So when somebody comes to me, I listen to them, you know, we have a conversation and a lot of those uh, breathlessness, the coughing, those can be mitigated by using the voice in a different way. And it doesn't necessarily have to be done through singing. It can be done through others, other skills that we do in a singing lesson, but it's not singing right so it's the it's the speech skills essentially so we can do we can work on the breath management we can work on okay well how do you make an s sound are you projecting your voice out or is that sort of retracting and now you're holding back your breath and now you have those kinds of issues we are very good at teaching body awareness um and you know the group classes are a great support. Sometimes I just let the class run for itself, you know, for 20 minutes and they just yak at each other and ask each other questions. And that's actually handy for me because then I see the spontaneous speech and I can evaluate where we need to go in terms of the voice lesson. But, you know, we can provide a lot of that adjunctive support um, to follow up with what's going on in the clinical world. 
right? Rachel, I'm, I've got to jump in with, excuse me, interrupting, but I've got to be to play devil's advocate. All the speech and language therapists out there who are screaming at the radio or the pop, the radio, the, the, the um, wireless, screaming at the wireless, um, saying, but that's what we do. So what value, how do, do we add value as a vocal coach, singing teacher, music therapist to what, for exa- example, a speech and language therapist might do? Well, they, they definitely have a role to play, but they are in the rehabilitative world. And in many cases, access is limited. Like here, access to speech therapy can take over a year. So there's, yes, Feeney just made big eyes at me. People, their heads explode when I say that. To get a, to be referred into C and ENT here can take six months to a year. And then from there, you can be, you can have um, access to speech pathology. And I would imagine that this is the case in other places too. So in the meantime, what are you going to do? You can't just tell somebody, well, just rest vocally. Just don't, just don't do anything. So we have this sort of place where the habilitation and the rehabilitation can overlap. And I think that we can do it in a, um, in a, in a different, working from a different place for sure. I would say that a good voice teacher will also know when the ceiling or the limit has been reached in terms of their skills uh, and they, and the person then needs a referral on to speech pathology or to ENT for sure. But, you know, we can, we can add, um, we can add so much also in that we are not limited in the amount of sessions that you can have with us, you know, and we are also not limited in where you can work because we're not a regulated profession. So, you know, I can work with people over in the UK and, you know, there, it's, we're not limited clinically. Um, definitely there is overlap though, for sure. Important point, isn't it really? Um, because, you know, even in the UK or particularly in England where we have a, a nationally funded long COVID uh, pathway um, with a whole range of different clinics up to 80 across the whole of England. Um, I don't believe that speech and language therapists are included in that pathway. Um, and so, you know, um, however, there are uh, referrals to uh, particular singing groups that are available um, that are led by I believe, singing teachers, um, as I, my understanding, although I'm sure you guys know more than that than I do. Um, so I suppose it's a really important point because actually what people are accessing and what people may need or want uh, can always be different things. And so actually when we see that there's a large volume of people coming forward to support, it's, I suppose it's useful to know that that distinction is there. Um, and also that the messages of awareness um, and uh, embracing uncertainty are, are actually there as well. Darren, can I jump in? Because many years ago I wrote a piece saying it's, you used a phrase, Rachel, about you said, we're, we're not regulated in a positive. Um, it can also be a negative. And actually, how can commissioners tell the difference between what is a quality provision and what is not? I mean, this is moving now into social prescribing. And I always used to say the people with the loudest voices and the shiniest leaflets will get get the gigs. You know, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And and in all seriousness, I'm smiling, but I, I, I haven't got an answer to this. But I think it is extremely difficult, um, both for just you know members of the public human beings as well as commissioners participants 
um, respiratory physios, uh, MSK physios and OTs to, to know the difference and to understand the difference. You know, Darren, I'm interested, you, you said as a lay person um, in terms of singing, you know, what your assumptions and expectations are and what your feelings and thoughts about doing it are as somebody with lived experience of long COVID. I'd be really curious. Yeah, I'd be very happy to be a case study if you want, and you can tell me what your thoughts are. So um, I've shared my personal story a hundred times. So I'm sure people that have heard this before know, but I, I contracted uh, acute coronavirus in March 2020. I still live with long COVID now. God, uh, what are we? August 2021. Uh, so it's been a long time. Um, I crashed twice. I've had two vaccines. And as I sit here now, I'm much better than I was. Um, I can work full time. Um, I have access to long COVID service. Uh, however, that that was a one-stop shop where I was seen by one doctor and one OT, um, and I haven't got an outcome of that. Um, so most of my healthcare has been uh, advocated via myself. Um, I do have, however, a respiratory impairment, um, and I've recently just been prescribed inhalers for the first time. Um, and that was because I was getting short of breath. Um, I've been getting short of breath since I had acute coronavirus. And in fact, um, I was able to work full time before I crashed with long COVID. And during that time, I walk a kilometre every day from South Kensington tube station to the hospital where I work. And what I started doing during my acute self rehabilitation phase was I was actually walking and singing. <laughs> and what I was doing was I felt short of breath and I was trying to do in my own way probably completely wrong uh, I was singing along to some favorite songs and I felt over time walking and singing was like an exertion and it was helping my lungs because I was of the firm belief that singing would be of value to my respiratory health um, now as time's gone on, that didn't necessarily translate unfortunately because I got better but then I got a lot worse and it kind of fell off I've never actually gone back into the singing, but I think the reason being is because when I was at my most disabled, um, any exertion was really exacerbating my symptoms. And that was including both physical and cognitive and social exertion. So the idea of singing at that time was, was not really on the cards. It wasn't part of what I was doing. Um, but I've got uh, amazing peers uh, amongst groups of people living with long COVID. And I know that others have accessed uh, some singing groups. And um, so if I was to say one it was the one that's in the uk with the english national opera they've gone through that with the the long covid service and they liked it and they found it beneficial and others through uh, peer support groups have gone through ones that they've set up themselves with singing teachers and they really enjoy them and actually it's the social participation um that really brings an awful lot to it so in terms of my understanding my appreciation and my experiences really limited actually i i know that singing from other health conditions like copd is really good for lung health uh, if I was to make it simple um, and so when I had a lung disease as I thought it was uh, with Covid I thought singing would be good for it um, and as time's gone on actually I've needed medical management uh, which has actually alleviated through inhalers all, all of my chest pain and my breathlessness and my exertional tachycardias.
And that's really important that you make that distinction between needing the medical management, mm -hmm. right? Um, singing, just because you can sing doesn't necessarily mean that you haven't addressed the, the medical side of it. And that's really what that's really what you needed. And I, I pick up on a on a point there that sometimes we don't quite realize the singing is the result of physiological processes, that it's not like eye color that just sort of happens to you like my voice is squeaky or my voice is low or this it's the result of all of those systems that i mentioned before coming together and you can change them it's sort of like your hair it's always your hair but you can use a different product you can cut you can comb it a different way you can cut it um you can change your voice and you know sometimes you have a bad hair day or for you know a bad hair year or a decade <laughs> You know, and then it, it you you change something and it, and it gets better. What a lot of people don't realize is that singing is quite active, that we breathe to large lung volumes, that as we move through a phrase, we extend that exhale, right? So we're moving larger volumes of air. And I think there was a study very recently, um, Feeney, uh, that, that was done uh, that looked at exertion during singing, and they found that it was just as exertive as as moderate walking. Yeah, the, the physiological demands of singing for lung health compared with treadmill walking. Yeah. Um, well, that does it, doesn't it? Look at that. You just have that paper just on your desk. It's like, like you were ready, Feeney. <laughs> yeah, these, these are wonderful colleagues who have come up with this wonderful research for us that we can base this on. And yeah, we can say, look, we use singing as exercise when we're doing our singing for lung health for uh, obstructive and restrictive lung disease. And that's why it works for that. But when we bring that into the context of long COVID, now we're talking about this is, this is athletic. This is you are breathing to a larger lung volume and you are probably going past your expiratory level into your expiratory reserve volume. Right. So what's that going to do to you if you have an, an inappropriate sympathetic nervous response? Right. Um, if you're prone to that, just, you know, now we're moving air like we do when we're exercising and that could trigger you. Right. This and, is and you're adding sorry to jump in, Rachel, you're adding walking and um you know that that's gonna 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 add to it as as well i was gonna say something really important because i interrupted you which is really rude and i'm now being so rude that i've forgotten what it was i was gonna say the sugar analogy it's come back to me yes yes so yes, I love that analogy. <laughs> so what what i was saying to rachel the other evening darren is um singing is a bit like having a really nice big cake or a bit of um a big bowl of ice cream right and that mixed with the social um, cohesion of being with other people who are like you in terms of, you know, having the same condition can give you a real high. And you just think, oh, my God, that was just any. And, and, and we forget that music is a stimulus. And you said something really interesting, Darren, and I can't remember where I read it or heard it, that when you first were experiencing real the, someone's pulled the plug fatigue you thought I'll oh, just lie and watch television because that's like really relaxing singing is a stimulation sound is a stimulation music is a stimulation and you're going to crash potentially three days later and what I'm really interested in and I want to put this in here is the power of stillness and the power of silence and as a music therapist or a dance movement therapist, and Rachel is a singer, songs don't exist without rest. 
Dance doesn't exist without pause. And actually, as healthcare professionals, if we can learn to be in the gap, in the pause, and understand that as part of, you know, personalised playlists and using music to help in terms of pacing and breathing and, and, and good memories, you also need to have powerful stillness and powerful silence. I love The that. end. <laughs> important really important and actually it it emphasizes kind of one of the the, the I, I feel like one of the critical messages that's maybe come out in the context of rehabilitation in long covid is that awareness to post-exertional symptom exacerbation um this is not new this has obviously been happening for other people with post-viral illnesses or mecfs for a long time but i think that maybe this has never been so visible on a global critical mass scale like it is right now um and i think that what you said there about the 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 sugar soup the ice cream and all of that and the stimulus and there's so many bits to it you know like exertion is multifactorial and um we need to have pacing is the balance between rest and activities and it sounds like another analogy of pacing could just be a really good song that balances the, the music and the silence. Yeah, as long as it's done with the understanding that you are going to be exhaling for a long time. So, for example, yeah, I, I actually <laughs> haven't, come, I haven't come to a place with any of my cohort where I've felt comfortable singing because it's an it's an extension of speech and mm -hmm. there's more it's it's more than just sort of now I'm speaking up here and now I'm going to burst into song you know um so what we do is an exercise I call it counting so we're going to count to five and you're gonna you're going to take your hand and just push the air out and this is this is not the first exercise we do this is after weeks of work right? We do not progress until we can, we can exhale, but we're going to practice inhaling. So, or inhaling while we're speaking. So we're going to go one, two, three, four, five, good breath, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, breathe again, right? And we can go on like that, but we're practicing inhaling during speech so that when we're speaking, we're not stacking the breath and then getting all up here we're practicing that mindful inhalation right and hopefully that translates into a skill or a, in, into the real world and that is helpful and useful you know it's one thing for me to say okay well let's sing mary had a little lamb mary had a little lamb little lamb little lamb you know and i'm not engaging my body that way it's another thing for me to say okay well let's hum you know, and there's different ways to hum. You can be humming like this, which is all pressed, or I can have it flowing the air, right? Which is what we what we want. So that you're not holding back the breath. So, you know, we have to be careful about the way that we're using singing, the way that we're, and the way that we're teaching it. And it is one of the reasons why I worry about these free self-management programs that are available uh, videos of people doing various exercises um, because there are ways to do it well that can be quite useful and then there are really ways to not do it well that can be um, harmful 
you know, so we have we have to be really careful. I'm going to chuck a little thing in and Darren, this is really unfair. I'm going to slightly risky territory here, but it's important because you're modeling some of the things I'm saying. I'm very conscious of time and all of our energies as well, because it's been a long, a long day. But I'm I'm observing the ebb and the flow in each of us on screen. So obviously, if you're listening to this, you can't see this. And I am seeing that change all the time. And when you are in a class with a teacher in front of you asking to do things, sometimes it's very difficult to notice that there is a, I'm physically now dipping my body. There's a dip of energy and to hear that and to, to, to switch off. So when I had the, the post-viral fatigue, I went into London to a choir that I sang with. What I should have done, having traveled an hour and a half to get into London, I should have lain on the floor for an hour, which quite often when I went to the office at the Brompton, I did then lie on the floor for the hour it took me to travel in. And I sang and Liz Swain, who's a colleague of, of Rachel's and mine, actually had to get me to stop because I, I, was, I was not fully embodied and fully present in my back body and my peripheral vision so listeners at home if you immediately move into your back bodies and Darren and Rachel I invite you to do that now if you move into your occiput physically somebody's got their hand on your occiput but it's really nice they're giving you a little soft stroke in your occiput and into your spine and move your vision now peripherally if all of us do that so we're looking out the side rather than staring at the screen so we're really conscious of the spine the sacrum where we're touching the seat and vision either side of our ears everything falls back and there will be a point if you keep trusting that just move back something happens to the breath something happens to the energy and this is a, a real thing this is not wafty woo woo and and it actually it helps you listen differently so you know it, it rachel and i will continue these conversations there is something that rachel and i can absolutely create together with our knowledge set to help both healthcare professionals and singing leaders and music therapists, for sure. Well, that kind of leads on to a, a perfect point, doesn't it? Which is clearly there's a, a thirst for this knowledge. And, you know, these conversations are an incredible part of hopefully providing um, as much as you have provided so much already, but, you know, uh, in different echo chambers, uh, reaching out uh, to broader audiences. And so where can people access information if this has sparked uh, interest? And on the back of that as well, I don't know whether I've misheard you, but are you planning to do something together in terms of sharing that knowledge further? Well, so I keep a blog, um, my various ideas as they as they come to me, because I am learning too as we go along. And part of part of the way that I process information is to write it down, and. Um, so when I've learned something, it goes it goes up on the blog, and uh, but there are other resources too. Um, I'll, I'll jump in on on the, the obviously long COVID physio. You you put so many resources up there on the musicalbreath.com on the reading and resources page. I put things up there. Um, I don't know yet conversations with Rachel and I are very early because we did this webinar with 60 people who want to learn and came away saying but we want you to give us some tools 
Rachel has some tools that she's already created that I'm saying to her, don't give these away. They're too precious. But as you can hear, we're coming from quite different places, Rachel and I. So, so those conversations will still will happen. Um, the English National Opera, which you mentioned, Darren, earlier, I've had conversations with them about um, them, them, them being able to refer across to singing for lung health leaders who are doing this work. There's about 16. I still have a caveat around that as they are singing for lung health leaders who are trained to work with people with COPD. The jury is out, still, still out with me as to, to the learning around this. Um, the other thing is, is I want to offer something um, for the long COVID rehab network, a practical uh, intro session with slightly what I started to do with you two around back body and peripheral vision. So actually some practical um, things around creative toolkits, uh, around being with uncertainty and being embodied and being silent and, and still. Um, I hope that doesn't sound too wafty woo woo, but we're working on it, Darren. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, as as the the newly appointed chair of long COVID physio, uh, I don't think it would be out of uh, sync to say that um, if there's anything we can do to support, to collaborate, to work together um, and to use the spaces that we've also created to do that, um, we would love to support and collaborate. Um, I think it's fantastic to see how allied health professions and further uh, can work together um, in, in this in this arena. And, and like you mentioned earlier Feeney about how there are publications that are coming out as well as many conversations that are being had about how long Covid can maybe um, reignite and steer these conversations about conditions that have been for a long time neglected or mismanaged or not managed. Um, it, it could really be an opportunity um, and I think that collaboration is is the key to that um, with both indirect and direct knowledge. And can I jump in to say that Rachel and Jessica are setting the, the scene in terms of you guys are already doing this work. So that's why in a way, Rachel, you know, I want to kind of wait until your next tranche is finished in terms of what you two are learning from each other, because we don't have exactly that same of sort of partner side by side collaboration in the UK. There are singing groups that are linked closely with MDT teams. But from the sound of it, there is less singing happening and more breathing and relaxation. And as I say, there is a way of leading breathing and relaxation that is embodied, that helps somebody feel whether this is to do with emotion or sensory input or perception of that sensory input, all of which are complex and different stuff. Darren, you're nodding, you know what I mean. Um, so, you know, there's ways that that can be done better as well. Yeah, I mean, it's ever it's ever evolving for us, too. And uh, I don't know that we've ever found the right model for for everything. Um, but, you know, as much as we can be helpful to get out the word and help people who are who are also interested in this, I think that that's that's our that's our job coming up next. So I've got one last point or question or comment. Who knows? Let's see what it is uh, that I wanted to ask you both. Um, so for those people that have been listening and have maybe come through to the end of this podcast with us, 
I'd like to leave them with something that's like a little bit of a golden nugget, if that's all right. So I wonder if both of you would share with our audience that are watching or listening um, that have really come through to the end of this podcast, what would be your nugget? Your real, it can be practical, it can be conceptual, it can be words, whatever you want. Give them some gold. What are you going to give them? Well, I, I think about, I'm working with a singer right now who is really one on, in, in a one-on-one -on -one relationship. Um, and we've been together for several months now and she's, you know, been around the block. She does quite a bit of professional singing, but crashed after a gig where she did several sets and has never really been able to come back to singing. And, you know, our lessons are very, very slow. We are still working on that, just that exhale. And sometimes we add a little bit of voice in there, but we're not ready to go farther with it. And, and I said, I said to her the other day, you know, it's okay. You're not, you're not ready for the big vocal, you know, la, 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 la. We're not going to do scales yet because you're not there yet. And that's okay. And the key word is yet, right? We don't know. And so we'll just, if, if this is where you are right now, so be it. We just keep going and holding the course and doing the best that we can with the tools that we have available to us at this time. And it's okay. It's okay. You don't have to be out there doing the big things. It'll, the time will come. <laughs> Thank you, Rachel. So acceptance and optimism. Yeah. Yeah. Always, always glass half full. It's a much better place to live in. <laughs> mm, I'm split between reading somebody else's quote or telling a little story of my own. Well, do you know what? You can have both if you want. <gasps> Two. We can make oh my the rules God. on this podcast. All right. which, which, Go on then, which, I'll give you it. <laughs> which one leads better into the other one? Okay, let's do the quote first, then I'll end with the little tale. So this is from a friend and colleague of mine called Gary Anstel, who wrote a book called How Music Helps. He's an extremely well-respected um, professor in music therapy, music therapist. He works mainly with um, people with dementia. And he says, people's core relationship to music often remains sound and whole, even if everything else around this seems disrupted or damaged. The basic attachment to music is often a key resource for people to locate what is still healthy in themselves and others. And the story is working on the ward at Harefield Hospital with a woman who had had a lung transplant that was failing in that, you know, often when lungs are transplanted, they don't last for more than a few years because of the, the possibility of reinfection, cross infections. And she was really, really struggling with her breath. I mean, possibly one of the worst cases I have seen bedside. She was on every which way, she was really struggling. And I went in and I told this on the, the webinar I did with Rachel Moses a while back. And uh, her favorite song was um, Caravan of Love. Are you ready? Are you ready? And we just, there's a bit at the beginning, which is ooh. And it's related to Rachel's story. We just took a little bit of that, you know, at first all she could do was 
Ooh, that was enough. And we went through this. And at the end, to get to the the, 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 the crux, she, she just said, um, that was the, or the following week, I think it was, she said, that is the moment after that session that I moved from despair to hope. So my word is, is hope. Thank you both so much for your positivity, your embracing of uncertainty, um, your collaboration and your knowledge and expertise. Thank you so much. Um, this has been a wonderful podcast. Um, we will make sure that at, underneath this uh, video and also on the podcast, all the channels, we include links to everything that you have said today. Um, and I am sure that we will be having many more conversations. So I want to thank you both so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you, Darren. Thank you, Rachel.